Hello and welcome to the History Obscura podcast. This is the place where history's forgotten secrets are unshelved from my vast, firelit book repository and reintroduced to the world. Learn stories of space exploration, medieval royals, smugglers, martyrs, and monsters. Subscribe to History Obscura for a fresh tale every Saturday and Tuesday night. Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. I want to throw out a quick reminder for this episode to please, please, please take a peek at your show notes to read the trigger warnings for this episode. There are a few things that could seriously ruin your day if your trigger is listed, so I'll give you a second to do that. We can chat while you do. So, how are you? How have you been? Did you drink water today? I don't think I have, so I need to get on that. Did you stretch? Stretching is something I've found that is so underrated. For years, I've met people who tell me they stretch every day, like every morning, and I never made the time to do it. And for the first time in my life, I can touch my toes. I know, sad. And I've always been like a gym goer and stuff, but I just never took the time to stretch. I would like go running without stretching and it's really bad for you, I think. I'm not getting paid by like the stretching union or whatever. Just trying to give you some time to check those show notes. (laughs) Did you check? Okay, cool. Let's start the show. The first story is by Robert Eyre. Or Hare, I still haven't found out. Um, you remember Robert. We had his story, Oi Mia Kone, a few weeks ago about the hitman in Russia. It's really, really good. This one is called Friend. That sounds nice. I'm sure nothing bad happens and everyone has a great time. So, see you on the other side. The quarantine was finally over. All those months of mind-numbing tedium and cheap, greasy food had at last come to an end. The cars started hitting the roads again. People were out and about, and what few businesses were left had opened their doors to an eager public. Josh couldn't help but savor walking back into his favorite coffee shop for his usual order. As he sat down at the table, warm mug in hand, He breathed in deeply. The aroma of fresh brewed coffee and freshly baked scones flooded his mind with something that had been long absent from his life. Peace. As he exhaled, he could feel himself slowly drifting back to normal life and the matters at hand. His sister, to be precise. Emily had been living in the house their father owned ever since he first took ill. She was his caretaker since there was no way they could afford a nursing home. She washed him, fed him, and most importantly, kept him company. Josh and his father had never gotten along, so this worked just fine for him. He would stop by occasionally to bring some of that fried chicken from the place over on Willow Road. They would eat 
exchange some niceties, and Josh would go on his merry way. Then, their father's health took a turn for the worse. He stopped eating. His body grew frail. It seemed like his mind had left him too. He wouldn't stop asking about his friend. He never gave a specific name. He would just ask for friend. After his passing, Josh told Emily she could take the house. After all, she was the one that took care of Dad, and honestly, Josh wanted as little to do with that house as possible. Once the quarantine started, Emily said that Dad had a big stash of canned goods and frozen food. She also had quite a bit of money left in Dad's account, so she would be fine. Josh knew otherwise. Emily was never good at being alone. She was just like their father, always needed to have another person around them, if only for the company. You know you can call me anytime. I'll call to check on you every now and again, but if you need to talk sooner, just call. Josh always cared about Emily. She never had many friends, and the few that she did were all fair weather at best. I know. Thanks, Ashi. She had called him that since they were kids. Josh grew to become pretty fond of it, so the name just stuck. They hugged, knowing full well that they may not see each other for a very long period of time. The first couple of times they had spoken over the phone was pretty normal. Emily would complain about their dad's stuff taking up too much space, and Josh would basically yes her to death. They would discuss how bored they were and how they couldn't wait to go to a bar, a movie theater, or really any other place than their homes. Then things started to get weird. While on the phone with Emily, Josh would hear her whisper something away from the speaker now and then. At first he didn't think anything of it, but it became more consistent as the months went on. He would start to hear her say things like, I told you already. It's right next to you. I'm just speaking with Ashi. Yes, I remember. Needless to say, Josh started to worry for her safety. Do you have someone in the house with you? Josh asked sternly. Nope, just me. What's up with the whispering then? Oh, I, I was just talking to one of the stray cats outside. Josh knew which cats she was talking about. They used to come out of Mrs. Korshak's crawl space under her house. They used to feed them whenever Josh came to visit. Problem was, that house was demolished last year when the old lady suffered a stroke. Okay, well, if you need anything, just let me know. Love you, Ashi. Love you too, Emmy. Then the calls just stopped. Emily wouldn't answer her phone at all. Josh had asked the police to do a wellness check on her. They drove by the house and knocked on the door. They said everything was fine. She still wouldn't answer the phone, though. During the last month of the quarantine, Josh was finally able to get his sister on the phone. Jesus, Emmy, 
You had me scared to death. What happened? Are you alright? Yeah, I... I'm... Everything's fine. She had that pitch in her voice she always had after she cried. I just really need to see you as soon as this is over, Ashi. As Josh finished his last sip of coffee, he headed out to his car. God, it felt good to breathe in this fresh air, he thought. He got into the car and turned the engine. Something was weighing on him, though. What could have happened to Emily during this quarantine? Should he get her something? How could he even begin to make her feel better? There was only one way to find out. The first thing Josh noticed as he pulled up to the house was that the curtains all over the windows were closed. It was around 11.30 in the morning, so Emily was awake by now for sure. Maybe she's nursing a hangover, thought Josh. He stepped up to the front door and knocked. Nothing. He knocked again. Still nothing. The door wasn't locked, so he let himself in. The house was pitch black inside, save for a few slivers of light that crept through the blackout curtains. Josh tried one of the light switches. Damn it, he whispered. The power was out. Emily couldn't even put a screw in a wall, let alone fix the circuit breaker. Josh opened one of the curtains. Light poured in to reveal a dust-covered and musty room. That's when the smell hit him. The air had a metallic taste to it, like copper. He looked down and saw a black stain on the carpet. It was definitely the source of the smell. As he looked up, he saw a trail of the black and viscous fluid that led into the hallway where the bedrooms were. Josh followed it, only to find that the trail had gone from a few drops here and there to puddles. What seemed like smoke rose from the particularly large pools, like it was eating away at the floor. He could hear a faint sobbing coming from Emily's room. Josh opened the door and stood paralyzed with fear. He saw Emily, laying in bed in a fetal position. Above her was a swirling black hole. It slowly churned over Emily while dripping the black liquid Josh had found earlier. As each drop fell on her, it seemed to absolve any emotion or spark of life in her body. Emily lay comatose except for her sobbing, and an occasional whisper of friend. She said it in such a low, trembling voice that it was difficult to hear. As Josh rushed over to his sister, a cold wind brushed up against him. As the wind passed over him, he heard a voice in his head. I live in those that are weak. I live in those that are wounded. Josh pushed past and grabbed hold of Emily. Her skin was cold to the touch. As he lifted up her face, he stepped back in horror. Her eyes were completely white, like clouds. Her skin was wet and clammy, and her lips were dry and cracked. 
She just kept whispering, Friend. 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 As Josh stood up to try and piece together what was happening, his eyes caught a red light pulsing through the doors of the walk-in closet. The dark red hue flickered and danced like soft flames in a fireplace. Despite everything, Josh couldn't help but be drawn to it. As he opened the doors, he saw that the closet was completely emptied out. The only things in there were four lit candles around a wood chest. The chest gave off an aura that felt otherworldly. It drew Josh further in. As he walked up to it, he heard the voice in his head again. I live in those that are weak. I live in those that are wounded. Josh could make out one word scratched into the lid of the chest. It said, Friend. Josh slowly reached out his hands and opened the lid. The hinges opened with a slow, creaking noise. The chest held only a skull. The skull was that of a ram. It had three twisted black horns jutting out with thin red lines painted on them. The eye sockets had black fog slowly pouring out of them. Josh felt his insides turn cold. He felt a soft rumbling in the back of his head that matched the pulse of his heartbeat. It grew faster and faster. As the rumbling felt it would hit its peak, it suddenly stopped. In that split second between the sudden seizing of the rumbling and drawing his next breath, Josh felt peace. Peace like he had never felt before. It was serene. Josh slowly reached down and caressed the jagged bones of the skull. The black fog that fell out of the eyes gently enveloped his hands. It felt warm, like water in a hot bath. Josh could feel an influence washing over him. Friend, Josh whispered. He was so focused on the skull that he hadn't even noticed that Emily had risen up from the bed. She slowly crawled on the floor and grabbed the chef's knife she kept hidden under the mattress. She stood up and walked over to the closet. Her limbs moved like a puppet's. She stood behind her brother. Josh was transfixed by the skull still. As he looked deeper into the blackness that slowly filled the chest, she slowly raised the knife. Emily whispered in a low, guttural voice, Friend. And buried the knife squarely into Josh's head. As her brother lay dead on the floor, all Emily could hear was, I live in those 
that are weak. I live in those that are wounded. This next story is called The Electric Woman, and it's by Brian Maddox. I'll never forget seeing her. As I carefully sauntered down the stairs to the living room, I looked over the banister into the kitchen. And there she was, her ominous, bluish glow told me right away that this wasn't my mother or my sister. I remember hearing commotion downstairs in the kitchen, as if the dishes were being washed. More often than not, my mother would wake up in the late hours of the night to find something to do to occupy her overworked mind when she couldn't sleep. As a truck driver, my father was usually gone for weeks on end, hauling commodities across the country. On this particular night, while my father was on the road, I chose to sleep in his bedroom, sharing his twin-sized bed with my brother. My parents' union was in such disrepair that they had resorted to sleeping in separate bedrooms ever since we had moved in. This had become normal to me. If I had ever witnessed my parents show any type of genuine affection for the other, I'd just assume that Peter Pan was real as well. Divorce was out of the question. They would have rather lived a life of dejection than separate and dysfunction the family even further. After falling asleep in between episodes of The Andy Griffith Show and Sanford and Son, I was awakened by the sound of dishes clattering downstairs in the kitchen sink. I thought to myself, I guess Mom can't sleep again tonight. I looked over at my brother, his mouth wide open and eyes half shut in a deep sleep. This always gave me the creeps. The television was just showing static but I chose to leave it on as a sort of crude nightlight. I decided to go downstairs to see if my mom would like my help. As I got out of bed, I couldn't help but hear that someone was crying downstairs. Not hysterically crying, but more like loud, weepy sobs. I was almost reticent to offer my help, but... I assumed that maybe I could cheer my mother up somehow. I could never stand to see my mother upset or hurt. As I made my way to the edge of the staircase, I noticed that the entire downstairs was still dark. Why would my mother wash dishes in total darkness? The only light I could make out was an ominous, bluish kind of glow spilling from the kitchen in my peripheral vision. I walked down the steps and looked over the banister into the kitchen. The only sound I could hear was dishes clattering around in the sink and loud sobbing. But now, the sobbing had a sort of electrified tone to it, almost like when you whistle and hum at the same time. As I slowly stepped down into the living room, 
I peered into my mother's room on my left. The door was slightly cracked open and eerily... She was still in bed, soundly sleeping. Immediately, a wash of chills shuddered down my back. Just behind me, the sound of dishes and electric weeping still emanated from the kitchen. I froze in place, almost as if I was bolted to the floor. I was too terrified to turn my head to my right or even move at all. The weeping now became more of a loud, almost angered whine. Who the hell was in the kitchen? To my knowledge, my sister was upstairs in her room asleep. I knew that for certain when I passed by her room and saw her back facing me in her bed. I finally mustered up the courage to turn my body around and slink my way to the kitchen entrance. The crying was much louder now. As I stood behind the threshold of the kitchen, I held my arms out and placed them on the door frame in order to leverage myself enough to peek inside. God, I wish I hadn't. What I saw standing at the kitchen sink filled my body with an irrepressible fright. There was the form of a young woman, completely naked, with patches of burn marks and open wounds all over her body. Her hair was dripping wet and sticking straight out in matted clumps, yet I could make out missing skin and exposed brain matter beneath her hair. She was shaking her head as if she was disagreeing with something. Her entire body looked as if she was shivering. The crying now became more intensified, almost like she knew I was standing there watching her. I could make out a jumbled sentence that she kept repeating to herself, but the crying prevented me from deciphering exactly what she was saying. For a brief moment, I was filled with concern more than terror. That was until she discovered me staring at her. Angrily, she slammed her fist down on the sink, then slowly began to turn around. Her face was fixed in an expression that both terrified and saddened me. It almost reminded me of a wide-eyed fish out of water, trying desperately to catch its final breath. Her dead eyes were staring in different bearings, trying like hell to fixate her gaze in my direction. Her mouth was wide open and howling like a bereaved mother would at her child's funeral. She made her way towards me in a motion that still evokes anxiety within me to this day. She slowly shambled toward me with the determination of a person desperate for something that was out of their reach, almost like she was trying to put her arms around the nearest thing she could find. With every sluggish step, the crying became much louder and full of wailing misery. Never had I seen anything more terrifying in any of the horror movies that my older sister used to make me watch. This was real, and it was happening just a few feet in front of me. I locked my eyes shut as tightly as possible, hoping that this was just me being stuck in a dreadful nightmare. The crying grew even louder once I realized that she was standing, 
right in front of me. I could feel her presence looming just inches away. The smell was unlike anything I had ever experienced. It was like the sensation of steam over boiling water mixed with a tinge of something that resembled the smell of burning hair and hot metal. When I finally decided to open my eyes, after what seemed like they had been fastened shut for hours, I saw that her face was directly in front of mine, like she was squatting down to my level, her eyes moving like compasses. The wailing cry coming from her mouth produced the smoldering metallic scent that I still have trouble describing accurately. I wasn't sure if I should scream for my mother or ask this phantom intruder what it wanted. Before I could speak, her voice produced a sound that seemingly filled the entire house. I could now make out clearly what she was trying to say. It resonated with an electrified timber. I will be out in a minute. Was she telling me that this nightmare was almost over? I had no idea what to think. She continued to stand face to face with me for an eternity, it seemed, her eyes making zero contact with mine. Only when her right pupil rolled downward long enough for my eyes to connect with it. Her mouth still wide open, yet cracked the slightest of smiles and produced an almost sympathetic groan, as if she felt horrible for frightening me beyond comprehension, almost like a sort of maternal instinct. Her entire body was constantly trembling as if she was suffering from immense cold. At this, I finally gathered the courage to ask what she wanted. Her wavering, wailing voice responded impatiently with, I'll be out in a minute. Then, in a sudden flash of blue, she was gone. Her wailing cries faded in tandem with the glow. I wasn't entirely sure it was safe to move, but I managed to move my left leg backwards in order to get a running start to my mother's bedroom. After trying like hell to shake her out of her slumber, she finally awoke with an angry, What the hell is going on? My voice was in a state of stuttering panic, explaining what had just happened ten feet from her door. I was shocked to find that she didn't seem surprised at what I was telling her. My rambling was met with her attention fully focused on every word I was sputtering, as if she had heard the story before. Other than being in a constant state of depression from how her marriage had turned out, there was another reason for her continual mood swings. It was almost as if something else was weighing heavily on her already overcrowded mind. She followed me back to my dad's room and tucked me into bed with my brother, softly telling me that she would explain everything in the morning. Sleep was impossible. I sat in the darkened room with an anticipation that was reminiscent of an eager child on Christmas Eve night, and at the same time, terrified beyond human belief. 
I try to make sense of what just occurred in a room where some of the best instances of my life had happened. Before this incident, I enjoyed sitting around the dinner table with my family and cutting up with my brother and sister. Now I would forever be hesitant to even step foot near the entrance. As far as I knew, I had been the only one out of my siblings that had experienced what I saw. This was no dream. In dreams, you can always find a way to wake yourself up if you're falling from a building or being chased by someone. What I saw the night before hung vividly in my head, then and even more so now. At first light, I ran downstairs to find my mom in the kitchen, crying and wailing uncontrollably. It was like a wash of deja vu. I was sure that I was awake because the entire house was filled with sunlight. The way in which I found my mother was almost the exact same way I had found what I started referring to as the electric woman. Just as I had realized that it was my mother and not some form of nightmare fuel, I sat at the table and calmly asked her what was wrong. She slowly turned around and made her way to the table, tissues in her hand and her eyes red and tear-soaked. She sobbingly asked me how I felt about moving to another house. After what happened last night, I immediately agreed with her. She began to explain to me why she and my father slept in separate rooms. I began to notice that shortly after moving into this house a couple of years prior, they became less and less affectionate towards one another. There was obviously a reason for this. She began to explain to me that ever since we had moved into the house, there was a kind of negative energy that she felt was driving a wedge between her and my father. She also told me that I wasn't crazy or just seeing things, and compelled herself to tell me exactly what was going on and why this electric woman had made her presence known. Before moving into the house, she and my father were made aware of an incident involving a young woman. Everything began to make sense now. Apparently, a small family had lived in the house about 20-some-odd years ago. The couple were expecting their first child, and had found the perfect home in which to start their new journey as parents. They made sure everything was just right for the new baby girl's arrival. The nursery was picture-perfect, laden with shelves stocked with the essentials, a changing table filled with scores of fresh diapers, stuffed animals adorning almost every corner of the room, and a beautiful crib sat at the center window. The mother was happier than she had ever been next to her wedding day. On their first night home from the hospital, they decided to have the child sleep in their room in a bassinet that was placed next to the father's side of the bed. After what seemed like hours, the baby had finally fallen asleep. Within the hour, the baby was awake again. The mother awoke instantly, but was still in a state of sleep herself. She emerged from the bed and sleepily made her way over to the bassinet to pick up the child and lull her back to sleep. Without thinking, she brought the baby to the bed and laid the child in between her and her husband. <laughs> 
The next morning, the husband awoke to find his baby's tiny, pale blue arm sticking out from underneath his wife's sleeping body and immediately pushed her aside to find the child face down and motionless. Once the mother had fully awoken and realized what was going on, she became erratic and inconsolable. She scooped the child in her arms and began slapping and cursing herself, wailing frantically and begging her husband to kill her. While he himself was beyond consolation, he also composed himself long enough to realize that accidents happen and that his wife had never loved anything more than their new gift from God. She was the perfect mother in his eyes and knew in his heart that she would never intentionally bring harm to their child. She barely even slept in the hospital due to her excitement over becoming the mother she had always dreamed about. This was something she had envisioned ever since she was a child herself. She was born to be a mother. Planning the funeral was something that the wife had opted out of participating in. She couldn't bring herself to pick out a tiny coffin for a child who barely had the chance to live. She even refused to show her face in public. The only thing she could muster the energy to do was stand impassively at the kitchen sink and take to washing unused baby bottles. She would spend hours staring blankly out the window and crying uncontrollably while scrubbing away at bottles that had already been cleaned spotless and put away in the cabinet. Her husband may as well have been a ghost, due to every effort of his attempts at consoling her being coldly ignored. After the funeral, the couple became severely detached from one another, and that had resulted in sleeping in separate bedrooms. Their union was irreparable after such a tragedy, yet the husband was determined to keep his marriage intact. Divorce was out of the question. A month had passed after several fruitless attempts at trying to salvage what was left of their union. The husband came home one day to find the bathroom door locked and could hear his wife crying behind it. After pleading with her to be let in, she could only respond with an almost indiscernible, I'll be out in a minute. He stood at the door, desperately doing everything he could to console her. His crying almost matched the intensity of hers. He mentioned everything from therapy, marriage counseling, even adoption. He begged her to give him a chance, to come up with a solution to save their marriage. She shouted once more, I'll be out in a minute. Just as the word minute rolled off her tongue, a loud electrical pop could be heard behind the door resulting in the entire house going dark. He broke the door down to find his wife in the bathtub with a blow dryer floating next to her lifeless body. Her once beautiful blue eyes now milky white and staring in different directions. Her hair in wet, matted clumps. Her lifeless body twitching and shivering involuntarily from the flood of electric death.
This last story requires a little behind-the-scenes explanation. It was sent in to me by Colin Blennis, who said, Hey Shelby, I love listening to your podcast before I go to sleep. In your last episode, you mentioned not having any pandemic-themed stories. I'm a nurse working in a hospital in New York City. One of the doctors I work with wrote a story and posted it on Reddit. It tells the story of a patient's journey through the hospital in these harrowing times. It's maybe not a typical horror story, but it's still pretty scary. I'm sure you could do something wonderful with it. So, Colin so generously reached out to this doctor for me to ask permission to read this on the show. I don't know the doctor's name. I only know that their username is madfroger on Reddit, and I will post a link to the original. And if the doctor is listening, please let me know your name so I can thank you properly. The top comment on the post is from Mad Froger, with a little more explanation behind their post. They wrote, This is based on a real interaction from yesterday. I'm trying to work through the absurdity that the only interaction I had with my patient was the 30 seconds where I evaluated him and told him he was going to get intubated. So... These are dark times, and scary times, and I thought it would be apropos to read to you the terrifying reality our healthcare workers are living in every day. As we all, you know, a lot of states are going back to normal. You're getting your hair done, and getting your nails done, and going to the store, and everything, going to the beach, and all these great things, but we really need to remember that these healthcare workers are still living in just an unending nightmare. So a huge thank you to the doctors, nurses, custodians, EMTs, truck drivers, cafeteria workers, and everyone else in healthcare who is working around the clock having to participate in the worst day of so many people's lives. Here is three days of inpatient care in New York. The story of you. You're a reasonably healthy guy in your mid-fifties. Sure, you had a health scare when you were in your mid-thirties. A pretty big scare, come to think of it. You had some chest pain whenever you worked too hard and went to a heart doctor, and after a bunch of tests, wound up getting some kind of mesh tube in your heart. Or something. Doesn't matter. You see your heart doctor every year, and he tells you you're fine maybe lose a couple pounds, here's a pill you should take for your blood pressure. Maybe you know the name of it, maybe you don't. But you still see your heart doctor, even two decades later, because you want to be healthy. Your other doctor worries about your sugars. He tells you to take a different pill, metformin. You know that one's name. Your other doctor also tells you to lose some weight. And he says he doesn't like how high this blood test number is. But you feel fine. It doesn't hurt like the chest pain you had. Maybe you work at a gas station. Maybe you're a public notary. Doesn't matter. You're definitely blue collar. Hair's thinning and mostly gray. And you keep it buzzed, pretty close to the scalp. You haven't shaved for the past week or so, it seems, because you got sick. You come down with the flu. Fevers that leave you sweating, and chills that put you under the extra blankets you keep on the top shelf of your closet. You don't take a temperature, though. You just feel awful. 
and the cough keeps you up at night. You're not coughing up any goo, though, so that's good, right? You put up with it for a week. The fevers aren't going away. What's more worrying is that it's getting harder to breathe. Not the kind of hard to breathe when you had your heart issue, no. This is taking the wind from you when you walk the length of your room to go take a whiz. So you overcome your stubbornness and go to urgent care. This new doctor says he doesn't like the sound of your lungs and orders a chest x-ray. Your new doctor says you have pneumonia and gives you two more pills to take. Antibiotics. They'll help you start breathing better again. But you don't start breathing better. And the fevers only go away for a little when you take Tylenol. And you're having to breathe faster now, even in bed. You wait three more days, taking the antibiotics which were supposed to fix you, until you're scared enough to head to the emergency room. Because you can't breathe. The nurses put some tubing under your nose, and now you don't have to breathe so hard. You're seen by yet another new doctor in the afternoon. He's wearing a lot of stuff your other doctor never wore. It's hard to hear him as he speaks through two masks. He probably says something about the virus that's going around. The COVID virus. And you're shocked because you thought it was the flu. And you haven't been around any sick people. You don't know where you got it from. Four hours later, a different doctor comes by, also wearing a lot of masks and a yellow dress, and says you're heading upstairs. He asks you even more questions. By this time, you had to switch to a face mask to get enough oxygen to breathe okay. You spend the night in the hospital. You're woken up at 11 p.m., 1 p.m., 2 a.m., and 5 a.m. for a nurse to come take your vitals. If you take your mask off for even a minute, you feel like you've just run up two flights of stairs. Your newest doctors, there's a few of them, wake you up around 8 a.m. They listen to your lungs, look at the monitor next to your bed that beeps sometimes, and frown. You can tell even under the masks. They say you're going to get different pills. One of them isn't usually used to treat the COVID, but you're desperate to breathe, and you agree to it. Your nurse keeps coming into your room to check your monitor a few times in an hour. You're breathing just as fast as you were at home, even with the mask of oxygen on. Suddenly, there's a lot of talk outside your room. Maybe you can make it out over the sound of the whooshing air in the mask and your own breathing. Maybe not. Doesn't matter. If you were listening, you'd hear an anesthesiologist ask why he was called stat to the room when a decision hasn't been made yet to intubate or not. Intubate. Do you even know what that word means? You hear a different doctor ask why they weren't called earlier to first evaluate the patient before the anesthesiologist was called. After a minute or two, you see a tall doctor. You've lost track of how many new doctors you've seen. Enter your room, again with the masks and the yellow dress. Things start to move faster now. He speaks quickly, but seemingly without worry in his voice. How are you feeling? 
Did he even pause to introduce himself? You can't remember. You answer in clipped words. It's not hard to breathe, you say, but I just can't catch my breath. He explains that your oxygen is too low, despite the mask, and he says the only way to help you keep breathing is to stick a plastic tube down your throat and hook you up to a machine. He explains you'll be asleep while it's in. You agree because why the hell wouldn't you? He exits just as quickly as he came in. Again, if you're listening closely, outside the door you hear him say to some people you can't see, we don't need to intubate in the room. We've got a good five or ten minutes before he goes south. Get him to the pack, you. You probably didn't hear the last thing right. You're rolled out of your room, in your stretcher, to an elevator. You go up, and are wheeled into a busy room of lines with beds of other people with tubes down their throats, with only drapes to separate them. You're pushed past dozens of people in yellow dresses and masks and plastic windshields on their faces. There's more of those same dings and bells you heard from your own monitor, but they're all over the room, echoing off the floors and walls and ceiling. Another doctor says you're going to go to sleep. You look scared. You don't ask any questions, you just keep breathing. The monitor behind you keeps stinging. You don't even realize they push the medicine into your veins in the last two seconds it takes for you to stop feeling or hearing anything. Maybe you remember being in a fog as the medicine wore off a little. Maybe. You choke on the thing in your throat. Your eyes well up. Then you go back to sleep less than a minute later when you're given more medicine. You hope you don't remember that. Now, you're wherever we go when we sleep. You hope you wake up. Thanks for listening. And I'd like to give a huge thank you to the YouTube channel Pet Speaks for giving me a shout out on their channel. They did a top, I think it was 10, maybe it was more top 20 best horror podcasts. And they said some very, very nice things about me. So go check out Pet Speaks. I will link it in the show notes. Um, and let's get on to Patreon shout outs. Uh, Grace Jenna. Sunshine and Jessica Beatty. Welcome to the family. I'm going to send you a big, big, big hug over the airwaves. Sending you so much love and light. I love you all so much. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Why do I forget all of these every week? Uh, Tumblr and Reddit. That's right, Reddit. Um, yeah, follow the show on all those. We have a lot of fun. Um, you can send in your submissions to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. Can you tell the difference between when I have a script and when I don't? <laughs> Sometimes I just like to wing the last part. Um, yes, send in your 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 submissions, <laughs> Lord, 
to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com or you can go to scareyoutosleep.com where there is a submission form near the bottom of the page. All right, folks. Well, I think that's it. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>